Bible reading tonight is from Colossians 3:18 and going to chapter 4 verse 1. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Love it if you have your, uh, your Bibles open to that passage. We're going to jump um, in that passage and uh, before that passage and around that passage um, and really enjoy that. And my computer's turned off, so there's nothing on the screen. Oh, thanks, Greg. Um, uh, I'm so excited about the uh, Year 12 study day. Um, uh, a slight qual- qualification needs to be made. Um, my name got mentioned, connected with it. Um, this is a really wonderful moment of leadership for me when uh, Peter and Pip Lanahan came to me and said, I've got an idea. And the only thing I've contributed is I said, yes. Um, I, yeah, don't give me any encouragement for that. Um, uh, it was a beautiful, I love, I love that. It was my, one of my favourite parts of being a pastor. It was when people go, I've got an idea. And I just get to go, yes. How do I help you? And Pete and Pip went, we don't need your help. Uh, that's all they needed. They needed the permission giving, and that was beautiful. And I, lo- I love that. It's my, one of my favorite parts of being a pastor. Um, when I get to see people flourish in uh, the gifts and ideas and dreams God has given them, um, and that's just a great joy. If you have gifts and dreams and things you want to you have, come to me. I'll just say yes to you. So. Uh, tonight we're jumping into uh, a new series. It's a short three-week series um, yeah, about attitudes that build, kingdom, uh, build community, not kingdom, community. Let me pray, and we'll jump in. Father, you are big and we are small. Thanks for being our Lord of all. Thank you so much that you uh, create a people of grace and peace, uh, that you draw us into relationship with you and you build in us a peace that goes beyond us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're doing a short series uh, called Attitudes That Build Community. Uh, the mission statement of our church uh, is to Build a community of grace committed to making disciples of Jesus. Implicit in our DNA as a church is we're not alone. We're in community. One of those things about being community is it's quite complicated and a bit messy. My experience of community is um, like the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. The beauty of people caring for those in need and the devastation of people failing to listen or help those who are hurting. Uh, To quote someone from my Bible study a couple weeks ago, they said, um, people from church can suck. They can be great, 
and they can suck. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of a fair, fair assumption. That's our experience of it, that we are nervous about the nature of community and people. We love it and we long for it to be beautiful and wonderful and great all the time, uh, but then we also know and we fear sometimes the hurt that can come with it. And our antenna is like, for that moment, is particularly up when we read a passage like we read tonight, right? There are words in there that trigger us. There are words in there like submit and obey that because we know people and we know the pain and fear that come through relationships, uh, that we fear the power dynamic of those words. And I think we are absolutely right too. We're absolutely right to fear that. And absolutely, that is totally normal. We're going to get into those words a bit later. But here's what we need to do before we get to those words. What we need to do to get to those words, we need to build a foundation for which those words can sit upon. See, those words treated in isolation by themselves, they actually just seem really scary and dangerous. But when we put a foundation under those words of the rest of God's word, of the gospel, we will see actually there is a beautiful potential in those words. They're not things to be feared, but they're an opportunity to be a blessing. Here's where we're going tonight. We're going to start with uh, the why and how of relationships, and then we're going to jump into uh, that passage, into relationships in the Lord. The why and how of relationships. Sorry, my notes are all over the place tonight, so I'm a bit all over the place. Uh, the why and how of community. The why and how of how we exist. Uh, when Paul writes letters, and he wrote the letter to the Colossians, when he writes letters, there is something that is true of every single letter that he writes. Do you know what it is? I was wondering if someone would, but maybe not. It happens in this verse in every single book that he has written. He has a particular phrase that he starts every single letter to people with. He starts with an open salutation of, of like saying hi to people and saying who they are and saying who he is and da da da, all the little welcome stuff. And then he has this little phrase that happens in every single letter that he writes. And if, you know, if someone repeats something a lot, it must be important. And this is the phrase Grace and peace to you. Happens in Colossians 1 2, the book we're in tonight. Isn't that fascinating? Grace and peace to you. He starts every letter, regardless of the context, regardless of the situation, regardless of whether it's an encouraging letter, regardless of whether it's a rebuking letter, every letter starts with grace and peace to you. For Paul, that idea is foundational. It is the way he understands how things work. Grace and peace to Paul are the why and how of community. Grace and peace to Paul are the why and how of community. Grace and peace from the Lord are the foundation for our experience as individuals under Jesus and communities in Jesus. Grace and peace are the why and how of community. And we see them explored in this book, which is amazing. Just before this passage, I'm going to jump in at Colossians 3.12. We see what grace is. We see that grace is this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Grace is a statement of relationship. A statement of God moving towards people and drawing them closer to himself. 
A statement of identity. You, my people, are dearly loved. You are my people, says God. You are holy and set apart. You belong to me. So Christianity is not primarily a lifestyle choice or an idea to think about, but it's a relationship that God is bringing us into and it is a relationship that is a gift we are given. A free gift, that is what grace is. God moves towards us and saves us to be his people. So community in Jesus exists not because you and I choose it to be. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a member of the community of Jesus. You are saved to be God's people. You are saved into a plural. In Christ, God's people are drawn in. Grace is the gift of being in relationship with the Father, the sacrifice of the Son, with the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are gifted to be in Jesus together. That is what church is. There's a story um, of a man who, in World War II, he did this incredible thing. In his house, um, he protected people that were trying to escape Germany. And so constantly, people, he was like a safe haven for them. So they'd, they'd get him to his house, and he was one of the, the second, second last stop before, once they got to his house, they were almost out of Germany to safety. He had more than 500 people come to his house, and they would hide under the floorboards from the German soldiers, and he would keep them safe, and then he would send them on. And he never knew what happened to them. And there's this beautiful story, it's a lovely story, uh, of about... Uh, 15 years after the war, of those people, he met them. They had a big gathering with him. And they said, thank you so much. And those people brought their kids who would not have lived if he had not loved them. Church is a gathering of people with a sorrowful history, of brokenness and loss of fear who gather around a person who's done something for us. And we say thank you. Church is not the place we deserve to be. It is not the place we are entitled to be. No matter how many years we attend this place, no matter if we paid for this building, no matter how much we serve, church exists, community exists in Jesus because God has made a people for himself that none of us deserve to belong to. When we think community in Jesus, it comes with, I don't belong here, but I get to be here by grace, the free gift that I get to enter in. Grace, God moves, us into, relationship, moves into relationship with us. Grace lets, him, lets us join and be one together, not because we've earned it, not because we've done anything to be here, but because he has moved towards us and paid a sacrifice that we might be with him. That's grace. And peace in 3.15. The peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of the same body you were called to peace. Now when, when Paul's describing peace there, it's not artificial peace. Because you know, you know the phrase, keep the peace. That's not peace. That's ignoring the issue. Keeping the peace is pretending everything is okay when it's not. Keeping the peace is artificial and fake. And in this passage, it doesn't, say, it doesn't say create the peace. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. 
Peace comes from outside of us. Peace comes through the work of Christ. Peace is the gift. The opposite of peace is chaos and anxiety that come into the world with sin. See, sin is is this idea. Sin is this, that we are God and God is not. That we are our own rulers, that we are our own lords. And the problem with that is clearly that that means there's about 120 different lords and rulers in this room. Which means that all of us want to be in charge. Which creates immediately a sense of competitiveness for I want this place to be mine. And so we bounce into each other, running into each other, competing for the glory that everything will be ours. We battle with each other um, and causing hurt to each other because that's what it looks like. Sin sets up the idea of every individual as a ruler competing with each other. But there's peace found in coming under the rulership of Christ. This is a simple story to capture that. Um, I played a lot of softball when, uh, when I was younger. I played for about uh, 12 years. Uh, I played against New Zealand a couple of times. I played uh, against Australia. I made the New South Wales squad. This is like my only glory of sports story I've ever had. So, you know, please enjoy it. Um, it's not going to get any better. Uh, and, um, uh, and I remember I played, I played for the Newcastle rep team. I was living in Newcastle at the time. And uh, we'd come to Sydney, we'd play against the other teams. Um, and, you know, there was, you know, just like in every sport, there was one team we hated, uh, Penrith. And, um, and every time we played Penrith, we were just, uh, they were the evil guys, right? They were the ones we were competing against, and they would win a lot, and so we really wanted to win. And, you know, one year we won, and it, wasn't, it was like a victorious win, but it was even more sweeter because we beat them in the final. Um, uh, but then I made the New South Wales team. And it turns out three quarters of the team were the Penrith players. I moved from competing against them to being under the same team, the same idea, the same leadership and rulership. Now the Victorians were the evil ones. And so that's what happens in Christ. We, we, when Jesus forgives our sins and takes us out of the rulership of sin under the rulership of Christ, we're no longer competing with each other. It's not about your individual kingdom winning. Same team. Don't have to fight each other. Don't have to fight each other for each other's glory. Don't have to compete against each other to like earn the right for life. We're on the same team. We're for each other. Peace. Peace isn't something we create, it is something we are gifted with as we dwell in Christ and in his message. We stop ruling our own life, we stop being our own Lord, and we give up life to live in Christ's rule. We have peace. Grace and peace to you. God's people exist based on grace and peace. This is who we are. This is what we have received. And the beautiful thing in Colossians, we actually see this is what we get to give as well. It's what we receive and it is what we give. In verse 13 and 14, uh, we see that we get to give grace. We get to bear with each, other, uh, with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, uh, forgive as the Lord forgave you. We get to receive the grace of forgiveness, the free gift of joining together, and then we get to give grace. And then we get to live in peace. The message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. We get to live in peace with each other. Not fake peace where we pretend everything's okay, but real peace where we get to teach and admonish each other. Which is a nice Bible word for saying sometimes we point out to each other when we're wrong. Because we're leading each other towards Jesus. Peace is not built on fake 
relationships. It is built on honest moments of helping and leading each other with all wisdom, but leading each other towards Jesus, living under his rule. As we think about the idea of being faithful, we receive this grace and peace from the Lord and we give grace and peace towards others. This makes so much sense, right? I mean, think about the people you want to be like. Think about the people uh, that you look up to. We imitate those people that we look up to. I love sitting down one-on-one chatting with someone over a beverage of their choice. It is not more godly for me to do that. The Holy Spirit does not turn up when we order two flat whites. Yet, I do it, and I absolutely love it, and I look so forward to when I do that with people, because a man called Hayden Smith did that with me. So I imitate him. He sat down with me, gave me hours of time, he invested life in me. So I imitate him. I receive from him a way of being, and so I give in the same way sitting with people and listening and hearing them. The gift he gave me, I love to give back now. Not out of obligation, but out of absolute joy because I know how good it was for me. That is what happens with grace and peace. As we receive grace and peace in Jesus, we are taught to give grace and peace. We treat others as we have been treated. To be faithful in community is to receive grace and peace and to give grace and peace to receive grace and peace and to give grace and peace to others. And so over the next three weeks we're talking about three ideas, being faithful, being supportive and being patient and undergirding them is grace and peace. The gift we receive and the gift we give. Alright, now I've got that foundation, we've cleared the ground, now we get to jump back into some verses that were triggering for some and hard to hear and hard to think through. What we have here in Paul's letter to the Colossians is we have, these, um, we have this description like examples of relationships in community. They're like, uh, like analogies for us to understand and think about what does it look like to live in community with three different types of relationships. Now the danger is with these, uh, these examples um, is we treat them in isolation from everything else going on. See, they are... They are um, they're a canvas, and grace and peace is the painting on them. They are the bones. Grace and peace is the muscles that fill up that body. Uh, they are the ingredients for relationships, and grace and peace is the flavoring. And so when we read these, they're hard to hear because they trigger us in different ways because of our culture and our understanding. At the same time, we want to hold in place, there's grace and peace floating around the whole time as we read through them. We're going to go through them uh, in the pairs that they're in. Now, they're held in pairs, wives and husbands, uh, children and parents and slaves and masters, and each time, they're relationships that are built around the Lord, as is fitting in the Lord, for this pleases the Lord, with reverence for the Lord. So the relationships that are built around Jesus and what he has done. And so each relationship is helping to build something in that. The first one. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them, which is also fitting in the Lord. Submit is the right word and it's also the worst word. 
Whenever I'm at a wedding um, and uh, you know, this, the sermon will be on like Ephesians 5 or Colossians 3 and the word submit gets said in the wedding and just you, hear, you can physically hear the intake of breath in the room of like, oh my gosh, what is that guy going to say? Which is totally right. We should have that response. It's pastoral, it's kind, it's caring. Because we've, we've seen and heard the misuse of that term. Where submission has led to people being hurt and damaged and abused. This isn't a simple, cheap thing to say. And for some in this room, the idea of submission in marriage is actually traumatic and triggering. This is not simple. It is weighty and painful. And the interesting thing is, we can actually imagine a way where you can do this and it has the absence of grace and peace. We can imagine a way in which a wife submits to a husband and it isn't the right thing fitting with the Lord. There's no grace and peace in it. And that is scary to me and saddening to me. You also may be thinking, uh, youth, that you're not married. And so you're like, I can tune out for this part and I'll tune in after the bit about parents because that sounds full on too. Um, we love you and we actually want to disciple you not just for when you're a youth, we actually want to disciple you until actually your, de- your dying day. In this moment, we're going to try and disciple you for your future marriage if you get married. So listen up. Don't miss out on this. This is helpful to set this in place to think into the future. Listen to this so you can see what is actually going on here, not just hate on it. This is important for understanding what is actually going on with marriage. So clear the ground and let's build something. We're going to clear the ground and just remove some ideas for us. Then we're going to build something in grace and peace. Submission in marriage is not and was never meant to be a wife submitting to a husband, being harsh, being hurtful, being demeaning, overbearing, ruling, prideful, bossy, angry, demanding, It's not submitting to him being abusive in a physical, emotional or spiritual way. It is not a rule without thought. It is not an allowance for husbands to be absolute jerks and for wives to say, well, I just have to submit to him. It is not that. Let's take all that and throw it away. It is never that and it's never okay to be that. Wives submitting to husband is not submitting to an overlord or a king. It is something very different. It is submitting to, verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Ephesians 5 gives us even a bigger picture of that love being a sacrificial love. And when we bring in our flavoring for living in community, that love is filled with grace and peace. That love is one that moves towards the other one and seeks to have peace with them and build them up and encourage them. See, these verses are not meant to be one of do this without thought. It's submitting to the husband's sacrificial love, allowing yourself as a wife to be loved by a husband, allowing him to help you flourish in your gifts under God, allowing him to build you up and care for him. In these verses, we have the replacement of the curse in Genesis 3.16. I'm going to read it just so I don't misquote it. Genesis 3.16, when the curse uh, is made between man and woman, uh, and, uh, and God says to the wife, your desire will be for your husband and he'll rule over you. That's not desire in a good way, it's desire in an 
um, are going to undermine and hurt him. The nature of sin is that the, what it begins to create is it creates relationships where the wife and the husband are competing and they do it in different ways. They're competing for rulership in different ways. The nature of it is that wives will seek to undermine their husbands. Is a generalisation, it's not always true. Sin is always true, but this expression is not always true. Uh, the wives will seek to undermine their husbands and husbands will seek to rule over their wives. This is the grace and peace replacement. This is replacing that horrible moment. This is replacing that with wives submit yourself to the husband's love. Not to their rulership, not to their um, disturbing leading of you, uh, but to their love for you. And husbands, do, do not dare rule over your wife with an authoritative uh, rulership, but you lead towards them with grace and peace and love. These, are, these words replace the curse of sin. Wives desire husband to undermine, husbands rule over wives to overpower, Wives submit to husbands' love and husbands love wives and build them up. What does this mean? Well, it means, girls and guys, be careful of dating and marrying people who you cannot trust to love you. Date and marry people who you can trust to love you, build you up, support you. Date and marry people who are living grace and peace. Date and marry people who are receiving grace and peace and living out grace and peace. And guys and girls, be those who love others well, not to love, uh, to use them, but love to bless them. Be not jerks, but those who are kind and gentle, build others, support others. Be those who are receiving grace and peace and giving grace and peace. Grace says that both husbands and wives are going to fail each other and they move closer to each other seeking forgiveness and giving forgiveness. And peace says that you don't ignore sin when it happens in the context of relationships. You move towards each other with teaching and admonishing. You lead each other to Christ. We don't keep the peace. We receive peace and we walk towards each other, towards Jesus, in peace. Um, Erin and I have been married for 10 years. Uh, she's taught me heaps about this. Heaps. Because we've had to live it. It was really fun when I was like 19. I just go, yeah, just submit. It's fine. Reality is, that's a really immature thing to think. Turns out I have to grow up a bit. And we've been married for 10 years and she has taught me what this looks like. My wife is not weak and little and quiet. She is strong and powerful and capable. She is a weapon. Submission looks like her letting me love her. Submission looks like letting her, let her letting me encourage her and build her up. Letting me sacrifice things to benefit her. Submission has even meant her calling me on when I'm not loving her well. Submission has meant they're going, Miles, you're not doing the job that God has called you to do. Love me well. Submission has meant her holding me to account in grace and peace. We can imagine relationships of husband and wives that are not filled with grace and peace. We can imagine a horror show. 
But if we just treat these verses by themselves, we get the horror show. But when we treat them in the context of God's story of grace and peace towards us, us receiving and giving, we see something beautiful that can happen. All right, that was a long one. These are still going to be shorter. Um, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Uh, fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Uh, fathers, the, the Greek word there, uh, can be used to uh, communicate parents. So it just means fathers and mothers. The translation just goes with fathers. So it includes everybody. Um, uh, children, obey your parents. This is a moment of like recognition of parents uh, looking after uh, after. I'm sorry, children recognizing the leadership of their parents and sitting under that. Just like with wives and husbands, this isn't a rule that doesn't need wisdom to work out and see what that actually looks like, and it needs to actually be filled with grace and peace. But it's a baseline, right? A baseline that youth obey your parents and then work through in grace and peace when it gets murky. We tend to start from the place of, I'm going to think my parents are wrong and they don't understand me. In general, this is not always true. In general, though, your parents love you. In general, parents want your, the best for you. Parents are not always great at this. They're not always great at communicating that. There's exceptions to this, and they do not fit in this, in this boundary. But in general, that is what it looks like. I had a good friend of mine. Um, she became a Christian in year seven. Her parents were not Christians. And uh, she, she really wanted to go to church and youth group. And her parents said to her that she couldn't. Um, and so she was really sad about that. And so she waited about three months and then she asked again and they said no again. And about three months later, she asked again and they, they thought well, the phase isn't, hasn't ended. She's still kind of a Christian. Uh, and so they said, you can go to church but not youth group. She was, you know, well, she got something and so she went with that. She disagreed but she obeyed. She respected her parents and loved them and honoured them. She heard what they said. And so what happened was she went to church until she was, uh, when she turned 18, and when she turned 18, uh, she became a youth leader, and now she's in ministry. She honoured her parents, who disagreed with her. But in grace and peace, she heard them, she listened with them, she walked through the murkiness of that conversation. She respected them and honoured them. And then parents, not to embitter um, but to lead, not, not to discourage and embitter, but to uh, lead in grace and peace. See, parents, we need to lead and guide in love, um, not parent in such a way that causes our kids to lose heart. That doesn't mean not disciplining them. It doesn't mean not saying, hey, that doesn't seem like a good idea. But it shapes the way we discipline children. It shapes the way we think about kids. With grace, we move towards them, and with peace, we raise hard things with them. Parents are not bosses and lords and kings. Parents are guides and coaches and encouragers, guiding in grace and peace. We are not the dad from Matilda who says, I'm big, you're small, I'm right, you're wrong. There's nothing you can do about it. Parents, in grace and peace, walk alongside their kids and lead them to Jesus. And last of all, uh, slaves and masters. Slaves obey your earthly masters and everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to carry their favour, uh, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. 
Slaves obey earthly masters. Now, slaves are much closer to the equivalent of workers to a boss. Slaves, um, they weren't unpaid and they weren't like, kept in jails. Slaves were often paid, often provided for in terms of food and accommodation. But those words come with cultural baggage. But here's, here's a much better way of thinking about it. Macca's employee, slave. Macca's employer, master. A cheeky one. Youth pastor, slave. Senior minister, master. I have a good master, it's fine. Um, but there's a sense in which uh, uh, the, the slave is to honour those who they are employed by. They are to speak well of them. They are to sit under the conditions that they have created for them. They are to do the work that they've been given. That is right and good, with grace and peace. Which means sometimes asking questions in the context of that. It means um, walking through situations when you've asked something of me, which I don't think the nature of who I am as a follower of Jesus can do. And an employer is to provide the right and fair work conditions because that is right to do. In the Lord, masters and slaves have grace and peace and give it to each other by doing their role of honouring the positions they are in for the good order of society. Paul gives us the ingredients for a faithful community. He gives us the ingredients that are, uh, uh, and with a seasoning of grace and peace to make it complete. As we receive grace and peace, we have the opportunity to give grace and peace. People at church suck. They can be great, but they can suck. A faithful community is not a perfect community. A faithful community is one that seeks by the Spirit to live in grace and peace and to give grace and peace. This place will never be a perfect church. We will never be perfect at loving each other. We will never be able to be the place that is absolutely like heaven. But we get to taste little bits of heaven together as we receive grace and peace from the Father. And as we share the grace and peace from God with each other. As we fail each other and have opportunities to forgive each other. As we miss things. As we sometimes don't see that person sitting by themselves. We have opportunities to move towards them in beautiful little ways. One of the goals for our church uh, over the next 18 months is to make someone feel known. Tonight, you have a chance to extend grace and peace to someone. Church will finish and you'll start thinking about where to go next, what to do next, what's tomorrow bring about work. I'm thinking about holidays. I'm kind of already there. I leave after the service. So I'm with you. I'm with you in the tension. But you have a wonderful opportunity in about 15 minutes' time to extend grace and peace to someone, to move towards them, to love them well. May we be a church that receives grace and peace and gives grace and peace. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much that in you we have the opportunity to be given so much and the opportunity to give out of that moment. Thank you so much for the way you have moved towards us, for the way you have chosen and called us to be your people, for the way you have shaped us as individuals and, Father, as you continue to shape us as a community. In the moments where we fail each other, Father, 
draw us closer to your forgiveness that we might learn how to forgive each other well. Father, in moments where we are unkind to each other, Father, help us to teach and admonish each other well. Help us to walk in peace together. Father, thanks for your word. Thank you that it is good. Thank you that it is not a command without wisdom. And there is a beautiful picture of what we can be. A community of grace and peace. Amen. In these next couple of songs... Um...